When you're a pro, you got to do a little bit of everything. A little. A little. And even a little. And it helps to have something that works as hard as you do. That's why Valspar has a paint for every job, every room, every time. Valspar. You make it happen, we make it possible. Pros, head to Lowe's today and talk to a pro rep about getting up to 10 free gallons of Valspar through our paint trial program. Exclusions apply. See ValsparPro.com for details. Welcome to the porch here on Firefall Talk Radio. I'm Richard Grund. This is where we get back to basics. If you haven't figured that out already, I'm going to tell you. Red letter basics. Examining the Word of God. Following the example of the Book of Acts Church. And I believe in doing so, we find the church the Lord intended. And not the one that man created. The porch has always been about restoring the priesthood of the believer and regaining that world shaking influence the early church had. We believe the church age is still in effect. The fire still falls. The day of Pentecost is ongoing. The porch was created as an outreach of Solomon's Porch, Inc., a Florida non-for-profit. Since January of 2000, if you have any questions, you can go to OnSolomonsPorch.org or you could just go to FirefallTalkRadio.com. And if you have questions about the porch, something we've said, maybe you'd like to support us, support what we do at the bottom of the page. There are ways to do that. We appreciate each and every one of you that do support us as the Lord leads. Make sure you bookmark the site for Spreaker.com. If you have the app or on the Internet, we're also on Facebook where immediately after a show is done, a podcast is done, whatever you want to call it. It is immediately uploaded there, and you also get alerts on Twitter. So we have social media presence. You can download, you can share, you can make sure your friends and your family and those that need to hear what we're saying, or you believe may be a part of the Awakening Remnant, can listen in. So welcome to all of our listeners here, um, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, welcome. Keep the Chinese people in your prayers. The coronavirus and the government's handling of it has turned their life into a living and even dying nightmare. So far, 1,118 people have died, 100 just in the last 24 hours alone. And in the last 24 hours, there have been 2,015 new cases. So far, there are 45,500 people infected. The 45,118 is in China, 395 in 24 other countries. But reports are coming out that China is fudging the numbers. North Korea is not reporting what's going on there. The World Health Organization has called this a pandemic and a crisis. I'm not telling you to be afraid. I'm telling you to be prayed up, understand the authority that you have, and make sure that if you're going to travel and if you're going to go through major airports, you do what you need to to protect yourself and your loved ones. If you want to get updates on this and other things about prophecy, the end times, politics, whatever it might be, go to facebook.com forward slash supernatural response team. We have tweaked this page to be a SRT Overwatch info page, so it's more than just paranormal or supernatural. It covers everything. So let's get going. Let's start with the praise reports. Well, I praise the Lord for my home, my wife, my family, my sons, daughter-in-laws, my grandson, our furry kids, and everything he's given us, everything we have, is from him. I praise him for my salvation. Without that, I don't have any of the things I just mentioned. Praise him for his protection over each and every one of us, for the ministry he allows me to work. You know, getting back to the coronavirus, Psalm 91 talks about pestilence not coming near your dwelling. Pray it, speak it, believe it, I do. Praise Him for the dreams and the visions. Praise Him for His healing virtues, which are still available to us. Praise Him to be able to praise Him. Sometimes, folks, it's all you have. In the darkness, you feel beat down, you feel overwhelmed. 
you can praise him, even if it's in a whisper, even if it's in a a croaking, tear-filled voice, you can praise him. You can praise your way out of it. You can praise your way and rise up by edifying him. It edifies you. You praise him for his favor. I praise him for his favor. I praise him for the revelation, the things he's been sharing in dreams and visions and prayer times, for being a new creation and living in these prophetic times, watching things happening that the prophets of old talked about. I praise him for living in a country, America, where we are allowed to worship him as we please. And I praise him for the signs that he's getting ready to return. So let's get ready. My prayer always starts out with the Middle East. My prayer is for the Middle East, for Israel, for the peace of Jerusalem. Psalm 122.6, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. I pray for the fatherless, the widows, the innocents in and out of the womb, um, animal, human, otherwise, any innocent that he has created that needs our protection. I pray for them. I pray for the victims of injustice. I pray against the slaughter of the innocents. I'm adding this to the equation. I'm praying for missing and exploited children. There seems to be, over the last couple of days, a rash of children being snatched out of their front yard. You can't even let your children play unattended anymore. Not that, you know, we always kept an eye on our kids. Uh, Some people thought we were helicopter parents. Well, no, we just made sure that if anything went wrong or could go wrong, we were right there and we were there to intercede and stop it. So keep an eye on your kids. I pray for the victims of sex trafficking. What a horrible, horrible, satanic thing that seems to be exposed now more than ever involving people that would shock you to hear their names. I pray for our brothers and sisters around the world that are being slaughtered persecuted for their faith and belief in the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I pray against the religious persecution and the anti-Semitism that spirit of the Antichrist talked about in 1 John 4, 3 is alive and well and he's coming. He's not here yet, but his spirit is active in the world and is preparing for his arrival. I pray for divine wholeness, health, and healing in each and every one of us that we would get back to our divine design, whether it's through prayerful miracles, whether it's through change in how we take care of ourselves with the guidance of the Holy Spirit, how we eat, exercise, whatever you need to do to get to where you need to be, I pray that that would happen. I pray for divine inspiration, for you to come out of the cloud, come out of the darkness, come out of the spiritual fog, be able to hear his voice. I pray for the remnant, that's who I'm talking to, to wake up, to rise up, to answer that call to action, to be invigorated, to be to be inspired in the inner man, in the inner woman, the spirit person inside of them, and those that have been blessed to be a blessing. Pray that each and every day that the Father would lead those that have been blessed to bless what we do here on the porch or Firefall or SRT or the documentary, whatever it might be, there are needs, there are things that have to happen to fulfill the mandate, to do what we need to do for the kingdom of God. And I pray that he would open the conduits of his blessings to each and every one of you, that you would prosper in accordance with his word. I ask for continued prayer for divine favor and the conclusion of legal matters an adversity that our family has been going through with us, uh, son and daughter-in-law, Aubrey. I'm also asking that for Larry. He's got an issue that needs to be resolved. just seems like the enemy uses the world system against us. But we're praying it each and every one of you that are in similar situations, divine favor, divine abiding favor. And I also pray, as always, for our lost family members, probably the most important thing that we could pray for. Kim in Fort Mitchell says she hopes that everyone is doing good. She's well. Lots to be thankful for. Her daughter, London, got baptized a few days ago, and it was a blessing to share this moment with her. It was a very important decision she made, and to share that moment with her filled my heart with joy. I am grateful for my own salvation and how much my life has changed ever since then. She says, Father, thank you for loving me when I was unlovable, for teaching me the lessons I had to learn, and for picking me up when I fall. 
I praise you for my sobriety, for my children, Father. Thank you for blessing me with more than I need and for your protection over my family. Thank you. There is so much going on in this fallen world. These storms don't seem to slow down and the earth is shaking. Believers are being tortured and killed all over the world. I'm praying for the innocent. Protect your people, Father. Help me sort out what I need to improve. I get so caught up with self-will sometimes. Please forgive me for that. I'm praying for my friend Stacy and her family, as well as the Porch families and SRT. I'm still praying for a financial blessing and for favor. Please pray for me with this job that I applied for. Lord, if it's your will, I claim this job in Jesus' name. Lord, you know everything even before we bring it up, but you still ask us to come to you as children and to offer it up. And I pray that everybody is offering up their praise to you and their prayers. And that we can all touch and agree. We can come into agreement right now, wherever we are, with everybody that's praying, with everybody that's listening, whether they're listening now live or they listen to it archived and recorded, coming into agreement. You said, whatever two or more, wherever two more gather in your name, there also are you, and whatever two more agree upon shall be done. So, Father, we're believing that, A, you're with us, and, B, that you're doing what we're praying for, that you're fulfilling your promises to us, that you're showing us the love of a Father and taking care of us in those areas that we need you, heart, mind, body, soul, spirit, provision, But we want to praise you. We want to praise you for being our Abba. We want to praise you for loving us. We want to praise you for the cross and the blood and the empty tomb in the upper room. We want to praise you for the fire of the Holy Spirit and the infilling of your Holy Spirit, your Holy Spirit inside of us. We thank you for the word. We thank you for the ability to get this word out there and to be fed by your manna from heaven. We thank you for the blessings that we have for the blessings that are coming. And we are so incredibly thankful that we're going to see you again. So clear our minds, Holy Spirit. Prepare our hearts. Protect each and every home and family represented. Protect the technology. And Holy Spirit, have your way. And I just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Lessons are proprietary information, except where noted the information comes from outside sources. Combination of that information, the matter presented is exclusive, cannot be repeated or used without permission. The date of this broadcast serves as the registered date of the following information. You know, it's so sad that this is specifically a message to the remnant. It should be a message to the church at large, but they're too busy. They're too busy doing everything but what the Lord asked them to do. And that's where we are. We're still talking about the awakening remnant and what it means to be remnant ready. We are his body. We are his body, the church that is the present physical presence, tangible physical presence of the Lord. The church body filled with him by the presence of the Holy Spirit, who was assigned by the Lord to represent him to the world, to minister his love, his life, and his power, to set the captives free. He came to destroy the works of the enemy and to set the captives free. And the only way he can do that is through us. And the only way he can do that is through the infilling of the Holy Spirit. See, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood enemies but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Ephesians 6.12 is to remind us that our warfare is not with humans. Now, it could be the battle is always against the powers of darkness, either in spiritual or human form. And do I even believe that there are some cases where Fallen angels, a demon, have taken upon human form to do what they do, to manipulate governments, to manipulate society, media, entertainment, the things we see that they have such 
a tight grip upon. But our warfare mindset must be focused upon who our enemy is. And that's why we're going to recap a little bit, but Ephesians 1, starting with verse 17, Paul was trying to get the church at Ephesus to open their eyes. For I always pray to God, the God of our Lord Jesus, the Messiah, Yeshua Mashiach, the Father of glory, that he may grant to you a spirit of wisdom and revelation, of insight into the mysteries and the secrets, and the deep and intimate knowledge of him. Not a cursory knowledge, not a distant knowledge, but an intimate, deep knowledge of him. By having the eyes of your heart flooded with light so that you can know and understand the hope to which he has called you and how rich is his glorious inheritance in the saints, his set-apart ones. And so that you can know and understand what is the immeasurable and unlimited and surpassing greatness of his power his dunamis, in and for us who believe, which of course is referring to the Holy Spirit, as demonstrated in the working of his mighty strength, when he exerted in, which he exerted in Messiah when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, above every title that can be conferred, not only in this age and in this world but also in the age and the world which are to come. And he has put all things under his feet and has appointed him the universal and supreme head of the church, a headship that is exercised throughout the church, a unified body, not all the splintered, uh, fractured entities. But it says all things are under his feet, not some, but all. And the empowering gifts of the Spirit are literally the power and the authority of that kingdom, the kingdom of God. See, that's what your mindset, to get into a remnant mindset, you must take on a kingdom of God mindset. Matthew 6, starting verse 31. Therefore, do not worry and be anxious, saying, what are you going to have to eat? Or what are we going to have to drink? Or... What are we going to have to wear for the Gentiles? The heathens wish for and crave and diligently seek all these things. And your heavenly Father knows well that you need them all. But seek for, aim at, and strive after, first of all, his kingdom and his righteousness, his way of doing and being right. Then all these things taken together will be given to you besides. Matthew 6.10, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Do you think that the kingdom of God, the will of God in heaven, do you think that the saints and the angels and everybody around the throne and everybody that's in his presence think about anything but him? 1 Corinthians 4.20, for the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. See, that's the kingdom mindset I'm talking about. A mindset that everything filters through kingdom of God thinking. No matter what it is you're doing, no matter where you're going, no matter where you are, no matter who you're with, everything goes through that filter. The problem I see with many believers is they have two sets of filters. They have the spiritual one, and then they have theirs. It has their name on it. It's their brand. That's not going to work especially as the days get darker and the deception gets stronger. So Paul said, having your eyes flooded with light. What light are we talking about? We're talking about the glory of God. We're talking about the presence of the Holy Spirit, the illumination of the Spirit, so that you can know and understand. It's one thing to know something. It's another thing to understand it as well. To the hope which he has called you. And how rich is his glorious inheritance in the saints for you that are set apart. And so that you can know and understand, there it is again, what is the immeasurable, unlimited, surpassing greatness of his power 
in and for us who believe, as demonstrated in the working of his mighty spirit, which he exerted in Messiah when he raised him up from the dead, raised him to sit at his right hand, far above all authority and power, dominion, every name that is named, not only in this age and in this world, but also in the age and the world to come. The same spirit that raised him from the dead is inside of you. So we were supposed to be one large occupying army of the kingdom of God. Instead, we compromised with the enemy. We allowed ourselves to be conformed to the world, assimilated into the world, and rendered powerless, neutered. It it amazes me that the first thing the Lord did when he got to heaven was he sent back the Holy Spirit the Ruach HaKodesh, the Comforter, the Counselor, the Helper, the Intercessor, the Advocate, the Strengthener, the Standby, to represent Him, to act on His behalf, to teach us all things, cause us to remember His Word, His teachings, and everything He ever said, which is in the Word. You want to know how you memorize the Word? The Holy Spirit helps you do that. Because when the Comforter, the Counselor, the Helper, the Advocate, the Intercessor, Strengthener, the Standby comes, whom, by the way, he sent to you literally from the Father, proceeded, emanated from the Father, this Spirit, this Holy Spirit, would testify of the Lord. wouldn't testify of himself. He would testify of Yeshua. And he would glorify him, take everything that was his, and declare it to you. John fourteen twenty six, John fifteen twenty six, John sixteen fourteen lay out the case that the ministry of the Holy Spirit is predominantly Messiah oriented. It's not about him, it's about the Lord. It's not about a denomination, it's about the Lord. It's not about a precept or a teaching. It's about the Lord. And that's why he was there to remind the disciples, to remind us. We're human. We get off. We get off on tangents. We get distracted. The Spirit is never self-serving. And that's why I've stated, and I stated again, the active present, the active ongoing, tangible presence of the Holy Spirit is vital to the remnant. You will not make it in the days ahead if you don't have it. You just won't. Because the bigger danger, the biggest danger that you'll have will be your flesh. And it'll be with the enemy manipulating that flesh. Galatians five nineteen through 20. Now the doings, the practicings of the flesh are clear. They're very obvious. All you have to do is watch the news. There are immorality, impurity, indecency, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, which is hatred, strife, jealousy, anger, ill-tempered selfishness, divisions, dissensions, that party spirit, that factions and sects with popular opinions, which lead to heresies, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and the like. I warned you beforehand just as I did previously, previously, that those who do such things shall not inherit what? The kingdom of God. So the infection, the virus of worldliness leads to ungodliness and sickens the body of Messiah. I believe we've been so ineffective for so long because we're sick. We're not as strong as we should be. We're not as healthy as we should be. And I'm talking about the body of Messiah, just not us individually. That does apply as well. Ephesians 5.5, 5, you can be sure that no immoral, impure, or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Messiah and of God. For the greedy person is an idolater worshiping the things of this world. That scripture right there is an indictment against the name of claim it prosperity gospel. Oh, I'm not saying we shouldn't prosper. We should prosper in accordance with our spirit. We should prosper in such a way that furthers the kingdom of God, does not benefit individuals living in mansions, wearing multiple thousand dollar suits and jewelries and all the things and trappings of this world. Those people are spiritually infected. Because everything in this world, 
everything, the lust of the flesh, the craving for sensual gratification, the lust of the eyes, the greedy longings of the mind, and the pride of life, the assurances in our own resources or in the stability of earthly things, titles, buildings. These do not come from the Father, but of the world itself. And the world, that world is passing away and disappearing. And with it, the forbidden cravings, the passionate desires, the lust of it. (coughs) But he who does the will of God carries out his purposes in his life, and he abides, remains forever. The awakening remnant, if that's what you believe you are, must fight against the seduction of the world. That's... The warfare starts in your mind. I've been teaching that. It's in the supernatural battle. It's in the, in one way, shape, form, or another in the, any of the teachings or seminars I do. The battle starts with you. The first place the enemy comes after you is in your mind. You've got to get up every day with a kingdom mindset. Maybe you even have to tell yourself that. Maybe you have to take the scriptures I'm laying out for you tonight and print them off. Read them out. Maybe you need to speak them over yourself. Say one thing you need to do. Ephesians 6, starting verse 11, you need to put on all of God's armor so that you'll be able to stand firm against the strategies of the devil. For we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, mighty powers in this dark world, against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, because of everything that was said before, therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so that you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then, after the battle, you'll be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the breastplate of God's righteousness for shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news, the gospel, so that you'll be fully prepared. You're standing in peace. You're standing on the gospel. In addition to all these things, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows, I'm sorry, of the evil one, Hasatan, the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet. Get it in your mind. Get your mind right. Have the mind of Messiah. And take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And then the final thing you must do is you must pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert. Be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. Putting on the armor isn't just a fashion statement. It isn't just a visual deterrent to the enemy. And by the way, it doesn't deter him from doing anything. It tells him you're looking for a fight and he's looking to give you one. Pray in the Spirit at all times. Resist the temptation. That the enemy throws your ways, that thought, that impulse, that compulsion, whatever it is, the enemy will have no choice but to flee from you once you have stood your ground in the presence of God, submitted to God, and belonging to the army of the living God, knowing that people are praying for you and with you. Praying at all times, all times, on every occasion and every season, in the Spirit, which is all manners of prayer and entreaty, to that end, keep alert and watch strong, watch with strong purpose, perseverance, interceding on behalf of all the saints, God's consecrated people. See, this is why that prayer language comes in handy and I believe is so important. You're... Praying at all times. Sometimes you don't know how to pray. Sometimes you don't know who to pray for. I remember early on as the Lord showed me that people that didn't even know me were interceding for me in my demon-possessed state. And they were doing so by praying in tongues, praying in the Spirit. He had got The Spirit had gotten them to pray, to intercede at moments that prayer was needed. All prayer. Any kind of prayer, every order of praying, 
including the supplication in the Spirit. See, Romans eight twenty six through 27 I know I'm repeating myself. I know I've shared these things before, but I don't think many of you are getting it. I see your social media posts. I get the email. You struggle with the same things over and over and over. The Holy Spirit is there to help us in our weaknesses. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Spirit does. The Holy Spirit will pray for us in groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father, who knows all hearts, knows what the Spirit is saying. For the Spirit is pleading for us believers in harmony with God's own will. Now, isn't it amazing? He sent the Spirit, which literally emanates from the Father, ties the three together, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And when the Spirit begins to pray for us to the Father, He already knows what the Father wants. He knows what we need. It's so amazing how He rigged the game in our favor. But you must participate. You can't just sit back and say, well, Lord, you know what I need. You know what I want. I'm just going to sit here and wait for you to show up. No, he wants you to participate. He wants you to pray. He wants you to intercede. He wants you to activate the faith that's in you. He wants you to maintain your life with him through Holy Spirit-empowered and assisted prayer, which is taught and directed, but building yourself up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, Jude 20. Maybe you literally need to say, Holy Spirit, help me. I don't know how to pray. Give me the words. Give me the language. Give me the utterances I need right now. See, you'll build yourself up, you'll edify yourself, and it will be founded on a holy faith. Now, where does a holy faith comes from? It comes from a Holy Spirit. And Paul clearly teaches that such prayer will be in a tongue not known to the person. Because once you're adopted, you're adopted into a family that speaks a different language, you learn their language. And that spirit of adoption that allows you to call him Abba, Father, Papa, God, Daddy, Romans 8.15, entitles you to that language. Have you ever had those moments where you don't know how to pray? Literally, you just want to groan. You want to cry. You want to sob. At those moments, I don't have to think about it. The spirit takes over. My prayer language takes over. That's vital to us, to our spiritual growth, praying in the Spirit. Praying in a language promoted by the Spirit. Praying in a tongue that only He knows. Maybe you're praying for somebody like somebody prayed for me, somebody you don't even know. You get that spontaneous unction inside of you. How can you do what you need to do when you keep trying to do it all on your own? So we have to be alert and we have to be watchful and we really have to be completely awake. And the infilling gifts of the Holy Spirit keep us awake, keep us aware by filling in the blanks when we pray. The other thing that was meant to keep us alert and awake is prophecy. The awakening remnant must know, understand, and apply prophecy in their daily walk. And what I mean is not so fixated on eschatology as much as prophecy in general. How does prophecy confirm the word? How does prophecy confirm where we are in the historical timeline or the things that are going on in the world? You notice I use Matthew 24 about the earthquakes, the wars, rumors of wars, the love of many growing cold, pestilence and famines and all the things. And, and I lay it out before you and I take what's going on in the world, showing you how all those things are happening simultaneously as the Lord prophesied. We watch what's happening. We feel what's happening. We know Something's getting ready to happen. Why? Spirit confirms it, but prophecy alerts us to it. I read the story told by D.L. Moody. 
and it applies in a way I want to share it with you. And he talks about a Dr. Cyrus Hamlin, who was in Constantinople after the Crimean War. So this is a long time ago. He was a colonel in the Turkish army. No, he was, he was there, and a colonel in the Turkish army came to see him. And apparently Dr. Hamlin was a believer in this Turkish colonel, obviously wasn't. And he said, I want to ask you one question. What proof can you give me that the Bible is what you claim it to be, the word of God? Now, more than likely, this Turkish general was probably a Muslim. But Dr. Hamlin kind of evaded the question. He sidestepped it. He drew the, the, the Turkish colonel into a conversation, during which that he learned that the colonel had traveled a great deal especially in the east and the region of the Euphrates. So the doctor asked him, were you ever in Babylon? He said, yes. So it reminded the doctor of an experience he had. And the doctor said, well, I had a curious, I've been there. And I had a curious experience. I'm very fond of sport and hunting, hunting, and I heard of the ruins of Babylon abounded in game. So I determined to go there for a weeks of shooting, of hunting, knowing that it was not considered safe for a man to be there except in the company of several others, and money being no object to me, I engaged the sheikh with his followers to accompany me for a large sum. So this doctor goes on a hunting expedition, and he hires a sheikh, with his followers, to go with him, to protect him, and, and to be with him. Doctor says, we reached Babylon, and we pitched our tents. A little before sundown, I took my gun and strolled out to have a look around. The holes and caverns among the mounds which cover the ruins are infested with game, which is rarely seen except at night. I caught a sight of one or two animals in the distance, and then turned my steps towards the our encampment, intending to begin my sport as soon as the sun had set. But instead, to my surprise, I find the men striking the tents. I went to the sheikh and protested. I had engaged him for a week and paid him pretty handsomely. Here he is quitting, starting off before our contract has scarcely begun. But nothing I could say could induce him to remain. It isn't safe, he said. No mortal flesh stay here after sunset. In the dark, ghosts and goblins and ghouls and all sorts of things come out of the holes and caverns, and whoever is found here is taken off by them and becomes one of them. Finding that I could not persuade him, I said, Well, as it is, I'm praying you more than I ought to, but if you stay, I'll double it. The sheikh said, No. I I wouldn't stay or couldn't stay for all the money in the world. No Arab has ever seen the sun go down on Babylon. But I wanted to do what was right by you. We'll go off to a place about an hour distance and come back at daybreak. And go they did. And my idea of hunting had to be given up. As soon as he finished telling the story, Dr. Hammond, Dr. Hammond I t- took out his Bible and he read from the 13th chapter of Isaiah. And he's reading it to this Turkish colonel. And it's Isaiah 13, 19 through 22. In Babylon, the glory of kingdoms, the beauty of the Chaldeans' pride, shall be like Sodom and Gomorrah when God overthrew them. Babylon shall never, never be inhabited or dwelt in from generation to generation. Neither shall the the Arab pitch his tent there, nor shall the shepherds make their sheepfolds there. But the wild beasts of the deserts will lie down there, and the people's houses will be full of doleful, howling creatures, and ostriches will dwell there, and wild goats like demons will dance there, describing satyrs. And wolves and howling creatures will cry and answer in the deserted castles and the jackals and the pleasant places. In Babylon's time has nearly come, and her days will not be prolonged. Now, what the Turkish colonel did not know is he was reading from the Bible a prophecy that was written 170 years before Babylon fell. And the Turk says, that's it, exactly. But that's history you've been reading. No, said the doctors, it's prophecy. 
You're an educated man. You know that the Old Testament was translated into Greek about 300 years before Christ. And that Hebrew was given at least 200 years before that. And the colonel says, yes. Well, this wasn't written when Babylon was in its glory. Therefore, isn't it prophecy? And the Turkish colonel gets a little flustered, says, I'm not prepared to give you an answer. I'll, I must have time to think it over. And I'll. So the doctor says, very well, do so. Come back when you're ready and give me your answer. To this day, he's never seen that Turkish colonel again. Because the testimony of the truth of the Bible in regard to the fulfillment of prophecy gave him the answer that was needed. See, we need to understand all prophecy. That was my purpose in reading that to you. Not just the pet ones that the televangelists and the peoples regurgitate over and over and over, or the prophecies and the and the aliens and the Nephilim and all. No, no, we need to understand from Genesis to Revelation. For prophecy has never come by the will of God, by the will of man, but by holy men of God, who spoke as they were moved by the Spirit, Second Peter 1. 21. So we can study all the details from now until Yeshua comes back, but prophecy is not about studying future details. Its main purpose is to challenge you and I to live well in the present. The Bible gives us a glimpse of the future to the remnant, to motivate us in the present. See, the book of Acts Church, they understood prophecy. They understood he was coming back. They understood the references to how he was coming back. And they didn't dwell on that. What did they dwell on? They dwelled on living the life that was needed to do the job that needed to be done. Yeshua is teaching us the difference. And I hope you get this point. He's teaching us the difference between investing into your life or spending your life. See, most Christians just spend. They just live. They just live their life. Everything's about them. Everything's about God. What can you do for me? Sooner or later, that account runs dry and goes empty. And Yeshua was disgusted by any passive disobedience into not doing what was told. The parables about the servants make that very clear. He wants us, especially as his remnant, to invest in our lives the kingdom of the future, the kingdom of God. Why do you do what you do? You say, if you ask me that question, Richard, why do you do what you do? Why do you do this every Wednesday night? Why do you spend Tuesday and Wednesday working on this? Why do you go out and do what you do with SRT? Why are you doing this documentary? Why do you do this? Why do you do it? First of all, I do it out of love. To whom much has been given, much is required. But I do it because I'm investing into the kingdom. I have a kingdom mindset. I have a preparation for the return of the king mindset. I understand what needs to be done before he comes back. He's coming back anyway. Nothing I'm going to do or not do is going to change that. But we have been given a job to do. He's asked us to do something. You do what you do out of love. But I am investing into the kingdom from which I want to withdraw from. How many people I know. Sit around like birds in a nest. Lord, give me, give me, give me. Give me this, give me that, give me this. What do you do do for the kingdom? How many people have you led to the Lord? How many people have you laid hands on and prayed for? How much of yourself have you invested into the kingdom? I can tell you I have not met too many people that live that life. I've met a lot of people that put on the show... They look good, they smell good, they act like they do all the right things, and then you get with them in private and you realize it's all a facade. They can't write checks on anything in that account. Your relationship with the Father through the Holy Spirit is how you invest 
into yourself, how you invest into the kingdom. And it's it's really interesting how he's not only made it so easy. It, it's as I say, rigged. And and the and the only example I could use that would make that when I lived at home, and I was in high school, I had a steady job. I, I been working since I was 14 or 15, but during my high school years, I had a regular part-time job at a supermarket, and I was working 20, 30 hours a week when you included Saturdays and Sundays, and I would come home, and I would give my mother $50 every week out of the 180 I was taking home. It wasn't a lot. I would give it to her for pitching into the expenses at home, things like that. She was teaching me responsibility. I would take my money. I would use it for myself. I would save it. But every week, I would come home. I would cash my check at the supermarket and give $50 in cash. Well, after a period of time, I had a used car. My parents told me to meet them at a car dealership. They they told me they were getting a new car, so I drove there. And turned out they were buying me. A new car. It was slightly used, been driven by the dealer, but it was basically a new car. And I was shocked. I mean, it was, I was shocked. And my mother said, no, 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 you've been buying this car. I said, what does that mean? So the $50 you gave us every week, we put into an interest-bearing account. Well, of course, I know that they added to it. But isn't that how God does it with us? We're investing into him. He's really giving us back our own money. He's giving us back his money. He's adding to it. He's multiplying it. It gives value. It gives meaning. How much have you invested of yourself into the kingdom of God? Knowing full well, not doing it for the reason, but knowing that he's going to give you back with interest, dividends, what you've given him. See what an incredible quality of love your Abba Father has given, has shown, and bestowed upon us. That we should be permitted to be named and called and counted the children of God. And so we are. The reason that the world does not know, recognize, acknowledge us, because it doesn't know, recognize, acknowledge him. The world is not his family. Don't get confused with the fact that God, for God so loved the world, that everybody in the world is his family. Beloved, we are even here and now God's children, and it's not yet disclosed or made clear what we shall be hereafter. But we know that when he comes and is manifested, we shall, as God's children, resemble and be like him. For we shall see him just as he really is. And everyone who has this hope resting on him cleanses, purifies themselves, just as he is pure. He is chaste. He's undefiled. He's guiltless. That was First John 3, 1 through 3. See, the reason that prophecy is so important, it inspires us. It motivates us in how we live the here and now. I tend to see people that study prophecy— Look at it as a distant thing, as a mile marker on the road, whereas I, what I'm presenting to you in accordance with the Word, it's to motivate you how to live right now. It's to motivate you for the future. See, I quote from Matthew 24, the Olivet Discourse, but it really doesn't end at the end of Matthew 24. It carries over to Matthew 25. Both of them, both Matthew 24 and 25, are unified in the same discourse. The parables of Matthew 25 are intended to teach us as his children, as his servants, as his kingdom, how to live today in light of tomorrow's uncertainties. There are three parables in the second part of the discourse in chapter 25. And Yeshua delivered them to his followers who were living in a 
a life, a present life, and future uncertainties. And he was challenging them to remain faithfully obedient until his return and to use their gifts to minister to the needs of fellow believers. It's pretty amazing that in light of the future reality of the hardships that were to come and the ultimate salvation, that we must stay ready for Messiah's return at all times by living in loving obedience. And he will bless us for it. The end of Matthew 24, which bridges us to Matthew 25, starts with verse 42. And I may only get done this section. So you too must keep watch. For you don't know what day your Lord is coming. Understand this, if a homeowner knew exactly when a burglar was coming, he would keep watch and not permit his house to be broken into. You also must be ready at you must be ready all the time, for the Son of Man will come when least expected. A faithful, sensible servant is one to whom the master can give the responsibility of managing his other household servants and feeding them. If the master returns and finds that the servant has done a good job, there will be a reward. I tell you the truth, the master will put that servant in charge of all he owns. But if the servant is evil and thinks my master won't be back for a while and begins beating the other servants and partying and getting drunk, the master will return unannounced and unexpected, and he will cut the servant to pieces and assign him to a place with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The two servants illustrate the attitudes of two people. It's the attitudes, the two different attitudes that people will have upon Messiah's return. The faithful and the wise will be given more responsibility in the Lord's kingdom when we rule and reign in the millennia. The evil servant will be cut in two, which is a form of judgment used in the ancient world. That weeping and gnashing of teeth indicates a remorse of those who have suffered great loss. See, in a time of indifference and carelessness, kind of like we're living right now, the Lord will appear with startling suddenness. Some will be taken to meet him, and I believe others will be left. The thought of that should urge watchfulness and preparedness. Just as Noah was vigilant, preparing for the flood, building an ark, being mocked, and getting into that ark seven days before the rains actually came, that was diligence, that was faith, that was trust. See, it's that kind of vigilance and preparedness that those of us living in this tribulation, previous tribulation period, the alert period, the warning period, the kind when you know a storm's coming but hasn't been there yet. We should be watching, we should be preparing, and we should be ready for his return. See, the book of Acts Church, that's how they did things. They were waiting if his return, even though he was telling them in the parables that he was giving them, it might be a while. They they didn't hear it. Well, who does? You're expecting him to come back? You want him to come back now? But they watched and prayed and worked accordingly based upon the fact that they were faithful and responsible in their service to him. That's what this is all about. His teachings, through the teaching of the Holy Spirit, should create in you and me and each and every believer a spirit of watchfulness. Not just watching the things that interest you or apply to whatever your area of expertise supposedly is. I watch everything. I watch everything as best I can. 
Watch all the things that I believe tell me and give me clues. I watch what the enemy's doing. I watch what the body's doing. I see what the world's doing. Politics, prophecy, finance, all these different things that can coalesce together to, oops, here he comes. See, that's where we should be. That's the aspect of prophecy I'm trying to get through to you. That's how Matthew 24 ends. Before we get, this is a perfect place to stop. Next time we'll pick it up just at the beginning of Matthew 25. The signs of the times are all there. They're not specific enough for you to say next Tuesday at such and such a time or next year or whenever it might be. It could be. could be tomorrow. could be tonight. could be in a year. could be. I don't know. But I do know that we're on the verge. I do know that all the signs are there. So, Father, right now, open up our eyes. We're your children and we love you. We don't want to miss you, Lord. We don't want to not be ready. We don't want to fail in any assignments. We don't want to stumble. Whatever is in our life that's distracting us from you, take it away. Whatever's got our attention, whatever's got our heart, whatever's got our focus, Holy Spirit, just bring the laser-like focus onto the Word, onto the Lord, onto you, onto our Heavenly Father. Now, Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation. For yours is the power and the glory forever and ever. Lead us not into temptation, Lord. Lead us not into the, into the evil one's hands. Guide us. Use your Holy Spirit. Get us out of it. Speak to us. Sometimes with stubborn kids running towards our own demise, push us out of the way, grab us, come rescue us. Take those people out of our life that have no place there. Take those things and those choices out of our life that have no place there. Let everything that the enemy has snuck in, let every poison, let every spiritual virus right now be revealed and expunged from us. Take it out of us. We want to see you. We, we long to see you face to face. We long to be in your presence, Lord. So Holy Spirit, right now, hover upon each and every one of us. Cleanse us, deliver us, heal us, prepare us, strengthen us, sharpen that sword. Let the remnant get ready. Help us to save our lost loved ones by leading them to you. You do the saving. We just do the invitation. We deliver the invitation to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Let them come in, Lord. Brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles, maybe mothers and fathers, maybe friends, co-workers, people that we care about. We call them into the kingdom. We pray you'd send somebody, an angel, maybe a, whoever it might be, that they would say, yes, Lord, and make you Lord of their life. Help us right now, Lord, to be kingdom of God. Alert. Have our hearts and minds set on the kingdom of God. Not be distracted by the kingdoms of this world. Because one day it's all going to belong to you. We serve you. We're of your kingdom. We're in your army. We're in your family. So, Lord, we love you. And we thank you. In Yeshua's name. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace, give you shalom. I'm Richard Grund. This has been The Porch on 
Firefall Talk Radio. Living in the age of podcasting, which also means the age of podcast networks with large back catalogs, long-running series, limited programming, and even cross-network collaborations. How are publishers supposed to keep this all organized? With Spreaker, of course. Spreaker's customizable publisher plan lets you organize your content exactly how you want it and gives you enough pod tech tools to monetize the largest back catalogs. If you're into premium offerings for subscribers, check out Spreaker's customized RSS feeds to upload and schedule exclusive content with ease. Or use our campaign manager to manage different campaigns from one central platform. Once your podcast business gets big enough, you can even add multiple networks to one account and collaborators assigned to each one. That helps keep the true crime series away from the comedy podcasts and make sure you get the advertisements that will resonate the most with your listeners. So let's move from the age of podcasting to the age of the podcast network with Spreaker. Head to Spreaker.com to learn more. That's S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R.com.